Hello, I am Grayson Brulte, and welcome to another episode of SAE Tomorrow Today. Before this episode begins, please kindly take a moment to subscribe and be notified when a new episode is released. SAE Tomorrow Today is published every Thursday. On today's episode, I was honored to sit down with hydrogen expert Bart Kolajacek to discuss the distinction between the types of hydrogen from green to yellow to gray, the infrastructure needed to make hydrogen fuel more accessible and scalable, and how we can inspire the next generation of renewable energy innovators. And away we go. Enjoy this episode. It's really interesting. Welcome, Bart. Hello. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Hydrogen is becoming a really interesting topic, and you're an expert in the space and have a lot of really great insights, so I can't wait to dive into this conversation. And when we, before we really dive into the conversation, I'd love to know, when did you first become interested in hydrogen and energy in general? So I guess that was after my master's. I studied in Poland and also in, uh, in Spain. My first job out of university was actually in Denmark with a company called Danfoss Solar Inverters. This company was basically sold to a bigger player since I left, but effectively the company was uh, designing and manufacturing solar inverters. So effectively uh, very sophisticated electronic devices to convert uh, direct current produced by solar panels uh, into um, uh, alternating current that can be used in um, households and and different uh, applications. So as part of my job at Danfoss, I actually came across um, hydrogen fuel cells, and basically we've we've been designing inverter for fuel cells. And I guess I got intrigued in this new technology. It was still kind of emerging. Uh, there was still a lot to do in terms of R and D, and I guess um, applications as well. So I got really intrigued in in that technology. Intrigued enough, I would say that um, I actually decided to uh, do another masters in. Uh, renewable energy science, um, specializing in um, hydrogen and fuel cell systems in Iceland. Um, so basically I studied, um, I studied that in Iceland. Iceland was actually a great place to study uh, renewable energy and also um, fuel cells and hydrogen in particular, because the very first um, commercial hydrogen refilling station was actually built by Shell in Reykjavik, the capital of, of Iceland. Um, after that, after my master's, I moved to um, Australia to do a PhD in, in the same field. So I was basically um, designing uh, catalysts for hydrogen uh, production. And uh, look, I, I've been in this field for um, over 12 years now. So um, I got to see many great projects and I'm, I'm still involved in hydrogen on a, on a larger scale these days. Why did Shell pick Iceland to build their first hydrogen refueling station? Was it the climate of the country? Or was there anything specific that drove that decision? So I guess uh, there were two main reasons. Um, Iceland had very cheap renewable electricity that came mainly from um, hydropower and geothermal. And also um, because Iceland is, is an island, it's a small island, they are kind of secluded. Um, they are very remote. And basically, it makes sense to um, deploy hydrogen in such a small kind of hermetic community because you cannot really um, cross the border and go to neighboring states. So the plan was to build a couple of uh, hydrogen refilling stations that would basically service um, fuel cell vehicles in Iceland. There's a a lot of debate now around like fuel cells and hydrogen. And one of the things I'd love to get your insight on is what is the difference between green hydrogen and hydrogen? Sure. So um, basically the 
distinctiveness between uh, those different colors of hydrogen relies purely on um, carbon intensity. So green hydrogen is basically uh, hydrogen that is produced from a completely renewable resource. So there is no CO2 uh, released during this, this production. There, there is also blue hydrogen. So blue hydrogen can be basically produced from uh, fossil fuels, but it also includes a step of carbon capture and storage. So effectively, uh, the CO2 is not released into atmosphere, but stored, let's say, in um, caverns or, or similar geological formations. Uh, th there is also gray hydrogen. So gray hydrogen is basically considered uh, hydrogen that is uh, basically made from natural gas by cracking of uh, natural gas, CH4. Uh, you basically crack natural gas at high temperature in presence of catalyst and also uh, water vapor, and you produce CO2 and, um, and hydrogen, but intensities of, of, those, uh, of, of this pathway is, is uh, CO2 intensity of this pathway is significantly lower than, let's say, for example, producing hydrogen via uh, coal gasification. So that would be considered um, black hydrogen if we use coal to produce hydrogen. Uh, there is also yellow hydrogen. So yellow hydrogen is uh, hydrogen that is basically produced using uh, nuclear. What will be, when hydrogen is fully commercialized, what will be the primary use case for hydrogen? Will it be passenger vehicles? Will it be long haul trucking? Will it be commercial applications, uh, say such as mining? Is there any specific use once the technology is fully commercialized? I guess initially it will be buses, specifically city buses, uh, to basically bring larger fleets that have uh, larger hydrogen demand, because effectively uh, deployment of those um, hydrogen vehicles um, have to come in fleets initially. Uh, single, um, single vehicle is not, that doesn't make um, economically good enough case to basically invest in hydrogen refilling infrastructure, in hydrogen refilling stations. So effectively, uh, fleets of hydrogen vehicles will be probably uh, first application and likely that will be uh, city buses, but also um, trucks, as you mentioned. So different delivery companies across the globe are looking at basically deploying large number of hydrogen trucks and basically investing in a, in a fleet rather than a single vehicle makes sense. But also basically when those fleets come online, they will bring infrastructure. So effectively this infrastructure can be shared and can be uh, publicly accessible. So um, if, if infrastructure is available, basically uh, customers can buy passenger vehicles and, and also refuel those. There are also many other applications. So uh, large mining trucks, potentially even vessels, smaller vessels. Uh, for larger vessels, we would probably use um, ammonia because it has higher energy density compared to hydrogen. But uh, also um, countries like Japan and South Korea, they are looking at hydrogen for power generation. So large scale gas turbines also. So hydrogen can be used in many different applications beyond purely automotive. That's, that's really insightful. I want to stay in the, in the automotive uh, segment of hydrogen for a minute. What type of range will a hydrogen vehicle get? Will it get a, a long range where it can go long distances in between refueling or be kind of like a shorter range until the technology matures? No, it's, it's actually quite decent range. So um, for passenger vehicles like Toyota Mirai or Hyundai Nexo, 
you would be looking at at least 600 to 800 kilometers on a single tank and single um, hydrogen tank is anywhere between five to seven kilograms of hydrogen so um, that, that's that's really decent range for uh, for those vehicles especially compared to uh, battery electric vehicles where where the range um, is anywhere between 250 to 350 kilometers and so when you're let's just say mrs smith or mr smith um, on a hydrogen fuel cell vehicle and they buy one and they're concerned that there's not a fueling station near their home or near their office to refuel what has to go into that infrastructure to be built out is that a big lift are there certain pipes that be put in the ground or is this like a traditional oil where the hydrogen is delivered and put into the system could you kind of shed some light on the infrastructure please uh yes definitely so uh first of all actually um car manufacturers wouldn't allow you to buy hydrogen um, vehicle if they knew that there is no hydrogen refilling station anywhere nearby because um, basically that, that's not a good image for those companies. So I know <laughs> from, from my personal experience that they wouldn't sell it to you. Um, and it's, it's, it's true. So in terms of infrastructure, um, Hydrogen refilling station is quite simple. So there are two different types. There are hydrogen refilling stations where hydrogen is delivered, stored, compressed and dispensed. Or there are hydrogen refilling stations with on-site hydrogen generation. So effectively, water and electricity are supplied into a hydrogen uh, or water electrolysis unit, electrolyzer. And basically hydrogen is uh, produced on-site. Then this hydrogen is uh, stored at um, low pressure, compressed, stored in a in a like a buffer tank at higher pressure, and then dispensed on on demand. So um, it's it's quite simple. Those systems can can be islanded as long as you supply uh, water feedstock and and electricity. I guess in the future we will see uh, hydrogen refilling stations where hydrogen is delivered because basically making this hydrogen production on a large scale, enabling economies of scale, makes a better case in terms of um, hydrogen cost. Uh, these days, uh, hydrogen refilling stations are mainly uh, with on-site generation, so hydrogen generation. So that's basically uh, via water electrolysis. With the high pressure, is it safe? Does a consumer have to worry about an, ex an explosion or anything to do that high immense of pressure? I mean, so th there are two uh, pressure standards for hydrogen, 350 bar and 700 bar. 700 bar would be used in uh, passenger vehicles simply because um, there is not enough space to uh, put additional um, tank, hydrogen tank with, with uh, lower pressure. Uh, in applications like city buses, um, or larger vehicles where there is enough space to put multiple tanks, this pressure is lower. But effectively, look, uh, we are dealing with um, flammable gas and compressed gas. So obviously, uh, there is al always some, um, th there might be always some safety issue, but effectively, um, organizations like um, SAE have developed uh, standards to basically deal with that. And as long as you comply with standards and regulations, uh, it's, it's quite safe and proven technology. And so you're looking at a, at a proven technology. How would you compare for a listener um, putting fueling up your car with hydrogen versus fueling it up with petrol? 
Would it be very similar? Would the hydrogen cost more than the petrol? Or can you shed any light on the on the economics of that? It's very similar. You have uh, basically hose and uh, dispenser. Uh, instead of dispensing liquid fuel, you are dispensing um, gaseous fuel. So it's compressed hydrogen. I guess because hydrogen fuel cell vehicles, they use different technologies. So hydrogen is actually not combusted in, in fuel cell uh, vehicles. It is converted electrochemically into electricity. And this electricity is used in uh, electric motor. Those vehicles are actually um, electric vehicles, but also fuel cell um, technology is significantly more efficient compared to uh, internal combustion engines. So um, fuel cell can go up to uh, 65% efficiency, whereas combustion engines can probably do up to uh, 35% efficiency, uh, which means that in case of uh, internal combustion engine vehicles, you are losing uh, probably 65% of your energy from fossil fuels. It's basically dissipated into heat. And because uh, fuel cell vehicles are significantly more efficient in terms of converting that fuel, which, which in this case is hydrogen, it actually, uh, the, the, the total cost of ownership is actually quite similar or uh, very soon will be very similar. It's, what is it? Is it priced on a per gallon? How is it priced when you're uh, putting the hydrogen into your vehicle? So normally it's basically priced per kilogram of hydrogen because there are different compression standards. As I mentioned, 350 bar and 700 uh, bar. It's basically um, based on, on the weight of your fuel. So it's basically uh, per kilogram. And in California, for example, the cost of uh, hydrogen per kilogram would be around probably 12 to 14 dollars. In Europe, it is more like in, in Germany in particular, it would be around 9.5 euros. So quite similar. I want to stay on the, the, the economics here for a minute because you recently authored the SAE Edge Research Report, Unsettled Issues Concerning the Economics of Fuel Cells and Ground Vehicles. Will you please, please kindly discuss the unsettled economic aspects of hydrogen and fuel cell applications for us? Hydrogen refueling stations and hydrogen um, fuel cell vehicles are probably the biggest bottleneck uh, these days. So the cost of uh, deployment of hydrogen refueling station is quite significant. It comes in, uh, in millions. It also depends what size of, uh, of hydrogen uh, refilling station uh, we are looking at. So the larger the, the hydrogen refilling station, the more uh, expensive, of course, it will be. But when we are looking uh, per cost of hydrogen produced, um, the larger station, the, the, the lower cost. In terms of hydrogen fuel cell vehicles, those are probably twice to even three times more expensive today compared to our traditional internal uh, combustion engine vehicles uh, and this is purely because those vehicles are manufactured on very small scale there are only few manufacturers every year there are uh, more and more major automotive uh, manufacturers that are basically uh, getting involved in uh, hydrogen fuel cell uh, vehicle market but um, effectively all those manufacturers still produce on a very small scale but when we think about it those hydrogen fuel cell vehicles, they are electric vehicles. They are so much simpler to manufacture 
compared to uh, internal combustion engine vehicles. So when I had a conversation with few uh, largest manufacturers of those vehicles, they basically believed that all they need to do to reduce the cost to be actually lower than current cost of internal combustion engine vehicles is to uh, manufacture 110,000 fuel cell vehicles per year. And when we are looking at those large manufacturers, they manufacture in millions. So effectively achieving 110,000 is, is not much. Um, it, it can be done and probably it, it will be done. So as there is growing offtake of, of those vehicles, the cost parity will come as well. And, and because they are twice more efficient effectively in terms how they utilize their fuel compared to internal combustion engine vehicles, uh, the total cost of ownership even today is, is very uh, similar, nearly um, reaches parity with uh, internal um, combustion engine vehicles. And in the future, once those technologies become cheaper, it will be actually more cost effective to use uh, fuel cell and hydrogen. Are there any markets, you, you mentioned Japan earlier in this conversation, are there any markets globally that have fully embraced hydrogen fuel cell vehicles? So uh, I guess China is really a leader and pioneer in uh, hydrogen uptake of uh, fuel cell vehicles. Japan and South Korea, they are talking about hydrogen economy and they are doing really well to implement it. But China is staying kind of under the radar. They are quite quiet what what they are doing in this space. But effectively, um, if you know right people in China and you see some of the projects that have been implemented in China, it's just amazing. There are basically large cities like Shanghai with uh, hundreds of uh, city buses that basically operate on hydrogen. Same in Foshan. Foshan has a number of hydrogen refueling stations and many uh, city buses in Foshan are run on hydrogen. There are also uh, large companies, delivery companies in China that basically use uh, smaller kind of semi-trucks for delivery that operate on hydrogen. And those come also in hundreds, if not thousands. There are also um, many passenger vehicles owned by uh, Chinese citizens that operate on hydrogen. So it's just it's just amazing. If you know right people in China, you will be really surprised. And you cannot read about it um, online because Chinese are quite quiet about uh, what they are doing in this space. Is the reason why China is being able to scale hydrogen is because of the hydrogen infrastructure network? Is that one of the is that the key to being able to scale hydrogen in any market globally is having the infrastructure in place? Chinese government realized a couple of years ago that there are certain advantages of using hydrogen over uh, battery electric vehicles and they started implementing infrastructure. So I guess to answer your question, yes. But also Chinese government provides number of uh, subsidies. So for example, if you want to buy a hydrogen fuel cell vehicle, Chinese government will subsidize it by uh, 20 to $30,000. So effectively the cost to buy fuel cell vehicle for every citizen in China becomes actually more affordable. There are also subsidies to basically build and develop hydrogen refueling stations where Chinese government or um, local government, provincial government pays half of the cost. So obviously China wants to be a leader in um, hydrogen economy and they are doing really well. There are actually many companies in China that basically manufacture equipment. So um, 
electrolyzers, fuel cells. There are many automotive companies in China that basically manufacture uh, fuel cell vehicles. There are companies that basically make entire uh, refueling stations. So you can basically buy your uh, hydrogen refueling station pretty much off the shelf with standardized production capacity for hydrogen. Uh, there are companies that do dispensers and, and many other uh, type of equipment. Let me ask a question that I, 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 I hear our listeners sending me emails now if I don't ask you this. Can you operate a hydrogen vehicle without a fuel cell or do you have to have a fuel cell and the hydrogen? Do they complement each other like peanut butter and jelly? They can't go together without one another? So, so effectively, you could use hydrogen in internal combustion engine vehicle. It would have to be uh, retrofitted slightly, so injection would have to be different. But effectively, that, that's not efficient way of using hydrogen. So fuel cells are a significantly better way of, of, I guess, using hydrogen. Because in fuel cell, as I mentioned before, you actually don't burn your fuel. You uh, convert it electrochemically. Basically, your energy that is dissipated into heat is significantly smaller. Also, the advantage of fuel cells is that hydrogen and oxygen uh, in fuel cell are, uh, are converted directly into um, electricity. So you basically supply this produced electricity into an uh, electric motor. So your, your vehicle is significantly more efficient. It has much better torque. It's also not as no noisy as internal combustion engine vehicle. I can tell you that um, I know some people that first time when they tried basically driving hydrogen fuel cell vehicle, they have been so surprised about, uh, with, with the noise level that they, they thought that the car was still kind of switched off, whereas it was actually on. So they, they were like, oh, how do I switch it on? It was on, you know, because it's, it's so quiet just like battery electric vehicles. So I guess there are many advantages of, of using uh, fuel cells over using hydrogen in uh, internal combustion engine. It, it's it's funny and, and it's awesome that you referenced the quietness because I remember when the Toyota Prius first came out and is it on, is it off? And that was the that was the funny thing going in. It's, and it's very similar there. <laughs> so is it a fair assumption to say that as hydrogen becomes commercialized for passenger vehicles, it will be a fuel cell vehicle? Is that a fair assumption, just based on all the, the efficiencies that you've clearly stated? Uh, yes, I believe so. So um, fuel cell technologies are very well advanced. There are a number of uh, companies that make those uh, systems. Uh, they are becoming uh, more cost competitive every day. So th this efficiency, conversion efficiency, will be probably a major driving factor for, um, uh, for fuel cells. Bart, you, you have this clear passion for energy. You understand hydrogen better than most. And we're about to go through globally, and it's been publicly stated in all the papers, a massive energy revolution for, uh, towards green renewable energies. How can we get more children interested in this type of energy? And what can be done in schools? Is there uh, labs that can be done or really interesting things where the kids say, hey, wow, I can build this. I can build that. Look at how cool this is. Is there things to really engage children in schools to kind of understand energy it's just not the thing where you turn the light on or you plug your ipad into the wall but to truly understand energy uh yes definitely so um i myself i'm involved in a number of uh, outreach activities to, to high school students so basically every month i visit um, at least one or um, often more high schools in australia uh, to to basically talk to uh 
students, high school students about energy, energy efficiency, hydrogen, etc. So I basically present short kind of lectures, but they are supported by hands-on activities. And often basically I tell them how to basically produce hydrogen from water. I bring some simple kind of, I guess, gadgets that, that enable uh, to do that. There are also toys that you can basically buy online. There is uh, this toy fuel cell kind of remotely controlled car uh, that basically comes with small hydrogen refilling station uh, where you basically uh, fill this hydrogen refilling station with water. You connect small um, solar cell, you expose it to sun and basically there is a small electrolyzer, single cell electrolyzer that basically converts this water into uh, hydrogen. And then you can basically connect this uh, remotely controlled truck to this hydrogen refueling station and refuel it. And then basically you can, you can basically um, play around with, with this, uh, with this uh, remotely, power, uh, uh, remotely controlled hydrogen powered toy car. Which is which is really cool, and it's it's really great illustration to uh, high school students what can be done and how it really works. Uh, those toys are also uh, transparent, so you can see what's inside. Also, um, previously when I was a research fellow at Carnegie Mellon University, I did similar engagement. So again with uh, hydrogen uh, toy cars, but also um, I try to show students that you can actually build. Um, solar cells at home using uh, basically uh, titanium dioxide uh, paste and uh, raspberry juice. So in this case, uh, raspberry juice basically uh, serves as a dye and the, the cell that you are building is a dye sensitized uh, solar cell. So um, th this dye in um, raspberry juice basically um, absorbs solar irradiation and uh, titanium dioxide converts it into an uh, electric charge. So it's, it's really kind of an um, easy way to illustrate to high school students how different technologies can be um, deployed, how they work, but also uh, how you can make them at home pretty much. And then I can see now you've got these children with the biggest smiles on their faces, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. Have you mentored a child or spoken to a child and, and you get an email Hey Bart, I, I I listened to your lecture. I tried some experiments at home, and, and you're never going to believe what I built. It's like the kid when you get the Lego box too, and next thing you know, you've got this giant uh, castle or, or a racetrack. Have you had any of those success stories where you've gotten this really great email from a child? You're never going to believe this. Basically, when I was still doing my PhD at Monash University in Melbourne, I used to visit uh, many many uh, high schools in in Victoria, in state of Victoria, in Australia. Once I actually went to this uh, really remote town. It's it's small kind of agricultural town. And basically, uh, it took me seven hours by bus to get there one way. When I arrived, um, students there, they are basically not exposed to uh, those technologies on daily basis. So they were so excited that basically my 45 minute talk went for like three hours. And uh, I had to cut it there because I had to go and catch my uh, bus back to Melbourne. Uh, those kids decided to basically walk me back to basically ask even more questions. And basically my, um, my talk on um, fuel cells, nanotechnology, energy, etc., 
went into uh, biotechnology as well. What do I think about nuclear power in Australia and topics like that? So they were really excited and uh, they wanted to basically get as much out of it as possible. And later, um, many of those students actually approached me whether they can do like a summer um, kind of internship as part of their um, high school kind of uh, requirement in, in the lab that I was doing my PhD at. So they, they got so excited that they basically wanted to continue this, this adventure, uh, adventure. That's also because the kids walking back to the bus going on some deep levels with, with nuclear energy and <laughs> bringing this conversation full circle and staying on that theme. What is the future of green energy? Recent pollution levels and also COVID, as well as to some extent Paris Agreement, uh, they basically uh, triggered massive interest in uh, renewable energy, not only hydrogen, but um, different types of renewable energy. Uh, I'm not sure if you are aware, but effectively, um, European Commission uh, to fight COVID basically decided to uh, invest 1 trillion euros over the next seven years to basically uh, enable transition to uh, renewable energies. And a large fraction of that, that funding will go towards hydrogen. So it's, it's basically just amazing. Imagine 1 trillion euros over the next seven years uh, that will be basically spent in different uh, European Union countries to transition from fossil fuels into uh, green energy. That, that's, that's going to be massive. And it's not only um, European Union. When we are looking at uh, Japan, Japan basically uh, wants to be... Um, hydrogen economy or hydrogen society by 2050 probably same for uh, south korea there are many countries that basically believe that um, transitioning into a uh, green energy is a way to go so um, i guess it's it's really exciting what is currently um, happening around the globe and green energy is definitely a global trend in part as we look to wrap up this super insightful conversation what would you like the listeners to take away with them about the future of energy? I guess it's it's really simple. Future of energy will be green. There will be a place for hydrogen, but it won't be purely hydrogen. It might be a mix of hydrogen fuel cell vehicles together with battery electric vehicles. Probably green ammonia will have its own place in this in this future energy mix, especially for larger uh, for larger and heavy vehicles. So I guess that the main takeaway from this conversation is that our energy landscape is, is really changing and it's going to be green. And as we heard on this uh, podcast today, the future is bright, the future is energy, and there's a big significant change in energy coming towards renewables. And Bart, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy global schedule to join us today on the podcast and share your incredible insight into hydrogen. So thank you. Thank you for having me. It was great. Thank you for listening to SAE Tomorrow Today. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please kindly rate, review, and let us know what topics you'd like us to explore next. Be sure to tune in next week for a discussion with Sven Talbert, Head of Corporate Foresight and Market Intelligence with Utanza Technique, to learn how COVID-19 is impacting MRO services. And be sure to follow us on LinkedIn to stay connected and continue the conversation. SAE International makes no representations as to the accuracy of the information presented in this podcast. The information and opinions are for general information only. 
SAE International does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast.